Hey, everybody, Saul Marquez with the Outcomes Rocket, and welcome back to another episode on our show. Today, I have the privilege of hosting Nick Kirby on the podcast. He is the Vice President of Partnerships at Sprinter Health, where he leads sales, business development, account management, and also strategy. Prior to joining Sprinter Health, Nick was in the corporate development team at LabCorp, where he led equity investments, licensing deals, and also strategic partnerships. He did his MBA at Duke and also BS in chemical engineering. So definitely a bright leader in healthcare, and we're excited to have him on. Nick, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much, Saul. It's good to be here. Absolutely. Look, we're going to dig into the work that you guys are up to at Sprinter Health. But before we do, we'd love to learn a little bit more about you and what is it exactly that inspired your work in healthcare? Yeah, is frustration a, <laughs> a, fair, a fair answer? There? Is. I, yeah, I'll, I'll, j- jokes aside, I think like a lot of people originally got into the healthcare industry because at the end of the day, it's impactful in terms of helping patients. But for me personally, it's the confluence of big, tough problems to solve with a lot of innovation from both science and technology, but also just generally new care models happening that have the potential to address a lot of these problems. So throughout my career, I've always been super interested at the intersection of innovation and technology and using business as a vehicle to take that and help solve big problems in the world. And so healthcare is obviously really right with those. At the same time, there's a lot of promise. And so I'm a little bit of an eternal optimist where it comes to we can take on these challenges. We can use a lot of the innovations that are in front of us to address them. And so that inspires a lot of the work that that I, for me personally, I think broader for Sprinter and our company, we're really inspired about the idea of expanding access to care and bringing care where people need it to to those who need it most and making it more accessible in in general. And we hear a lot just for me and and the company every day, feedback from patients and that huge inspiration as well. That's awesome. Yeah, big problems and access is one of them. So Nick, talk to us about Sprinter Health. What are you guys doing to improve the access problem? Yeah, it's a great question. At its core, we are bringing care to folks who aren't getting it today. And we're doing so by going straight to their home or wherever they call home. And we're providing a wide variety of different preventive services. So that sounds still vague. I can give you more explicitly. Let's dig in, yeah. uh, Yeah. So we work directly with health plans and risk-bearing providers to identify the, the members who haven't been in to see their primary care provider in a year or two or maybe in three years, who have chronic conditions and have specific gaps in care that they have not received. So these are kind of guideline-driven, preventive things that have frankly been around for a while that we know when done at scale have dramatic impacts and high-level impact on a patient's outcomes. And so we're taking those and identifying the folks who are at risk who have not been receiving these services And then Sprinter, our team, engages these folks through omni-channel outreach. We can send text messages or email or phone call. We've made it super easy for people to select a time in a minute or less, book an appointment, and have confirmation. And so what we're trying to do on the access side is by bringing care to directly to the patient and making it really, really easy, we're able to do stuff like diabetic eye exams or check phone's blood pressure. We're actually doing a lot of social needs screenings today where we're looking for housing, food, transportation security. We can draw um, labs while we're in the home. We can do a wide variety of other clinical tools like fall risk assessments and things like that. And so effectively what we're doing is we're meeting folks where they are 
and we're collecting all this information. But then the key thing is getting that to their primary care provider. So we're a way to connect folks back into primary care and increase access and preventive care engagement. We're not going in and necessarily treating the patient. We're not managing their care ourselves. We're just providing an affordable access point that helps risk stratify populations and get folks who need care most back engaged in the system. In a nutshell, that's what we're doing. There's, I'm sure we'll go into a lot of other detail on how sure. it works, but that's just a little bit about us and how we're uniquely positioned. Yeah, thank you, Nick. That's really interesting. And really serving as an extension to healthcare providers, reaching those tough-to-reach patients. Yep, exactly. And there's a lot of at-home models out there today. And sometimes it really gets confusing because home care at home is, is blowing up. There's, there's wide variety of different care delivery models across the spectrum. So sometimes it's also helpful to describe a little bit about what we're not doing to yeah. describe our model. So we are not the legacy home health post-acute, someone's been discharged from the hospital, 30-day, 90-day type episodes. We're also not like a, a landmark where there are chronically ill, complex patients that they're caring for in their home for more longitudinal care. What we are doing is we're actually leveraging a slightly different licensure level and going to the home where we're sending phlebotomy certified medical assistant type skill sets, but also a blend of a community health worker in a way. So that way we're keeping our ability to scale. We can train folks, um, license and certify them depending on the state in a matter of weeks versus years. And so we're built, we've been building up a um, scalable workforce to meet folks in the home for kind of more of this lower acuity, but still high leverage interaction. So there are other companies out there too, like Dispatch that are doing more urgent care, higher acuity, hospital and home models. Again, that's not us. We're really focused more upstream. So hopefully that helps provide a little bit more. It does. Yeah, thank you. And actually, I was going to ask you, what's different about what you guys do? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's it's a a good question. I think one of the things is really the fact that we have a different licensure that we're leveraging from a clinician standpoint. So all of our clinicians at Sprinter Health are called Sprinters. They go through all of our training programs and they're deployed into the home. And they're W-2, so they're fully employed. There's a number of other companies out there that are doing more of a 1099 Uber-esque model where contractors can get onto a platform, they can go into the home. And that's like a little... So we've taken the approach of going W-2 staffing, training everyone ourselves, deploying more targeted interventions and having a wide variety of different skills that are skills and services that are done. And again, more in that that preventive realm. Yeah, that's interesting. And then... Is it usually white-labeled for health systems or are you guys coming in as Sprinter Health to help people? And does it matter? It's a great question. It's actually co-branded most of the time. Okay. We still have Sprinter Health scrubs when we go to the door and we still have messaging that incorporates our brand, but it's often done in partnership with our health plan or restoring provider partner where we will say health plan XYZ has ordered some really important services for you that can be done at no cost in your home. So like a lot of our engagement messaging has the branding of our partner and they know that way because like Sprinter Health is a relatively newer brand. So there's still people who don't have a lot of brand awareness. So we do leverage that relationship. And then we also make sure that they understand that we're going to take all the results that we're getting and get it back to their primary care provider. So again, it's that kind of connectivity where the primary care provider is not going to have the resources to go to the home, but we can go to the home and collect the risk-based data that they need to best manage the patient and get them reconnected. And so 
there's this kind of ecosystem where, yes, the health plan is often our customer, but we also have an entire provider engagement team that's working with their network providers to let them know we're going to see your patients. We're sending them all of our encounter summaries. We're blending in between both of those stakeholders. Got it. Yeah, thanks for that. And, and the last question I have on that track, is it a Medicare Advantage play or is this broader than that? Great question. And it's what we've seen traditionally is most of the home programs are limited to the Medicare Advantage line of business. I think primarily just because the reimbursement incentives are the highest there. The nice thing about our model is you can think of us as the roughly half the price of sending an advanced practitioner to the home. So like an NP could cost you over $400. We're coming in like around per visit, roughly half that. And what that means is all of a sudden, we can go see other lines of business. So we actually have a lot of work in the managed Medicaid space. We work with populations. We do also work with Medicare Advantage. But what we're seeing is that the lower cost per visit all of a sudden unlocks these in-home models for new populations. And a lot of the work that we're doing in the Medicaid space, these are often folks who don't have great access to care. So we're seeing people who haven't been into a doctor in years. And we're often finding a lot of of issues and having making sure that they then engage with resources that are available to them. So we often see, we'll hear from patients, hey, yeah, my blood pressure's high, but I can't afford my medication. And they may not even realize that their health plan would not only completely cover it, but they'll mail it to their front door. And so there's care navigation component as well, where we can surface some of these issues to a case management team and they can be addressed that way. And, and like the, the whole purpose of going to the home is also to get a little bit more of an intimate setting. And so we have found that folks are a little bit more willing to um, talk about some of these issues in like a first in a face-to-face setting. Man, that's so cool. Thank you for uh, answering my questions there. <laughs> yeah. But it's a very unique model and definitely all-encompassing folks it's a great example of how if you figure out cost models that can scale, you can actually broaden access, which is the topic of today's conversation, and get creative with the partnerships you can make happen. And ultimately, end of the day, equity and, and access is the name of the game here. Thank you, Nick. Uh, what would you say is one of the biggest setbacks you guys have seen and a key learning that came from that? Yeah, setbacks, I'll rewind a couple of years back um, when we were really starting to grow scale in the early days. We had a number of different partners that had national scale and we were only working with them in one or two markets, but they wanted us to be in 20, 30 plus states. And so we had this kind of interesting strategic decision to make, which is the partners are projecting a lot of demand and growth do we try to scale as quickly as possible to be a national provider and only do a couple services? Or do we try and go deeper into the markets that we're in and expand into doing a lot more complex kind of home tasks? And so we knew going to 20 plus states would be really hard to, to try and oh, yeah. uh, overnight scale, scale the workforce that we're doing. And so we had, there was a, this was seen as a setback because we had a risk of losing some of our early partners to folks who maybe had more coverage than us, who were maybe hiring to 99 contractors across 40 plus states, and all of a sudden they had this bigger footprint. At the end of the day, we decided, look, healthcare's always been local. Healthcare is local. We're going to double down in our existing geographic footprints, like deepen our relationships with partners there. We're still going to continue to support our national scale partners, but we're just going to let them know, hey, it's going to take us years to get to national scale. And sometimes saying no to a partner at that early stage of a business is really hard to do. I, I think ultimately this was the right decision for us because we've been able to now add dozens of new services that we're doing in the home. 
We're still in five states. We're adding several more right now as we speak. We'll be adding more next year, but we're doing it in a sustainable way. And, and what we found is doubling down and doing a really good job for our core partners over the first couple of years. We're now being asked, can you go to New Hampshire? Can you go to Michigan? We're hiring 10 plus sprinters across Michigan as we speak right now. Nice. And so that is helped to take an, it's a, we're taking a little bit of a longer term view. But I think the key learning there is just not to be afraid to effectively say no to which, when it's oftentimes hard as an early stage startup, knowing that you have this kind of true North Star and go to market vision of building up a different type of workforce that can go into the home and do a lot of complex tasks versus trying to just like rapidly expand revenue as possible. So it was a, it was a typical decision, but I think like where, where we sit now, um, it was absolutely the right call to make. That's great. Yeah, kudos to you and the, and the leadership team, Nick, for being able to stand by that. It's hard, right? When you have revenue waving in front of you and say, hey, just scale what you have now and, and we'll grow with you versus our plan was this and, and we believe it's the sustainable route. You guys stuck with it. It's paid off. So big kudos to you guys. So are, are people driving around in sprinters? <laughs> I love that question. We, and we get it all the time. So today, today, clinicians operate out of their own vehicles and we reimburse okay. and all that and all that good stuff. I had to maybe ask. In the future. Yeah, maybe in the future. Sprinter.com was taken. So yeah, uh, yeah, I imagine. Out. How about Sprinter.help? Was that was that open? That's a good question. I, we may even have it for all I know. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. funny, man. All right, good stuff. As you think about healthcare and how fast it's moving, technology. Finally, healthcare is moving faster than it has been in the past. What's a trend or technology that's going to change it as we know it? Yeah, I'm sure you've heard plenty about AI, so I won't talk about that. <laughs> that's a day. It's all good. You want that another trend, though, that I think is here to stay is effectively allowing primary care providers to take on more risk. And just the general adoption of more upside, downside risk, as we talked about earlier, a lot of it has been, I think, limited in the Medicare segment. But I think we're going to start to see that spill into other lines of business and to continue to realigning incentives to keep people healthy and do a lot more proactive care. I think that general trend is here to stay. I think the other thing that we're going to see that has unfortunately eroded a little bit in the years is, is just general trust in the system. I think I said earlier from eternal optimist, I think we're going to start bouncing back. I think a lot of the road of trust comes from complex, multifaceted causes. At the end of the day, I think when providers are not in a good spot, it's harder for them to care for their patients. And if you have a limited interaction, there's going to be a, a natural degradation of trust. And as providers adopt new tools and technologies that make their lives a lot easier, as the incentive payments change a little bit to allow them to spend more time with patients, I think we're going to start to see a lot of trust rebuilding in the system. And so that's, again, just a little bit more of an intangible thing. But I feel like we're starting to hit an inflection point there, which is, in my opinion, exciting. Yeah, I agree with you, man. And I think a big part of that has to do with AI. <laughs> it does. Yeah. Right. Right. And and the ability to drive incentives to to both providers and physicians that are immediate, that care for some of these upfront proactive care measures is going to be critical in making some of the more value-based things happen like you guys are up to. So now, look, this is awesome. Really fascinating work that you and the team at Sprinter Health are up to, Nick. I'm glad that you came and did this podcast with us today so we could share it. 
if people, if payers and providers wanting to learn more, want to engage with you, where can they reach out? And yeah, what's the best place for them to do that? Yeah. Well, first of all, thanks so much for having us all. This was fun to, to talk through. I, for contacting me, I can, I'm on LinkedIn. My email is nick at springerhealth.com. So I'm happy to chat anytime, talk through everything that we're doing, what states we're in, et cetera, and, and see if there's anything we can do to help folks out while we're already on. Amazing. Nick, thanks for joining us, folks. We'll leave all of the resources that Nick shared with us today, including ways to get in touch with him and Sprinter Health in the show notes. So make sure you check those out. And remember, take action on what you learned today. Don't just stop at listening. Take action to improve your outcomes. Nick, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much, Saul. 